time with Reverend Stuart McWhorter. One of the things that I have come in just these two days, except, well, can I tell one story? It was 1960-something, and I was two. I was in high school, probably, and Reverend Stuart McWhorter came to our church in Monroe. And if he had the time, he could probably he would ask you where what church you're from, and he's probably been there or close to it. And one of the things that's been interesting for me these two days is to is to hear his heart and to know his passion. And his passion's about Jesus. And I have been uh, challenged and warmed and uh, encouraged by the reminder that Jesus is what matters, and everything else is negotiable. So, Reverend McWhorter, would you come minister to us? Thank you all for receiving my wife and me so very graciously. You have been an especially, particularly enjoyable people to preach to. If I stayed here five more days, I'd kill myself preaching. <laughs> Thank you again, Dr. Sanders, for the invitation. We will have nothing but treasured memories of these days with you. This has been a real highlight for us. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. My wife and I stood in a Buddhist temple in Bangkok, Thailand, and listened as a Buddhist priest described to us the appointments of that place. We came upon an image of the Buddha, and the priest turned to us and said, This Buddha was made in the year of 1050 A.D. And since Buddhist temples are not my natural habitat, I had to restrain myself, a thing my friends don't believe I've ever done. <laughs> but since Buddhist temples are not my natural habitat, I had to restrain myself for you know what the A.D. stands for. It stands for Latin words meaning in the year of our Lord. And when the Buddhist priests said the Buddha was made in the year of 1050 A.D., I had to restrain myself to keep from shouting aloud right there in the Buddhist temple, Thanks be to God, the indelible line that our blessed Lord Jesus has drawn across the ages is such that even the false religions have to make the dating of their images and their idols from the day of his birth. 
and again and again we could elaborate on the innumerable ways that the unique Galilean has left his footprints, footprints forever upon the shores of time. Footprints never to be washed away by all the flood tide, the onslaught of false religions and the vain babblings of ungodly philosophies and tyrants and totalitarianisms. He remains above the less of all the men and women who ever lived, of all the kings who ever ruled, of all the conquerors and military geniuses who ever marched, of all the philosophers who ever thought, of all the scientists who ever researched, of all the art that was ever brought to the human race, of all the music that was ever composed, of all the musicians that ever composed it, of all the artists ever painted, of all who have ever lived. Uh, he stands sublimely, singular, solitaire, superior, above them all like Pike's Peak rising in the sunlight of this morning above the western plains. The Galilean carpenter rises above them all. Bless his holy name. Oh, it's so easy to brag on him. <laughs> Whew, bless my soul. Glory be to God. All objective and informed people throughout the world have to admit, separate and apart from any theology, objectively, historically, that Jesus of Nazareth remains the most towering, triumphant, transcendent, peerless, preeminent, paramount personality of all the ages. He walked into time, and he quietly divided it into B.C. and A.D., he walked into the chaos of human history and gave it a direction he called the kingdom of God. He walked into our broken, sundered relationship with the holy God and healed it forever by his cross. Hallelujah. He's the greatest fact of human history. The greatest individual, the greatest influence, the greatest impact. And before we say anything else about him, don't miss it. Before we say anything else about him, when we have said what I have just said, it's long overdue for us wimpy, wind-blasted, mildewed, Christians to get our chins up and get our confidence up and hold our heads high. Somebody say amen. Before I say anything else about our Lord, what I, with what I've just said, the ground of our faith and the rock of our hope gets solid under our feet. Hallelujah. But we have even more than that to say about our blessed Lord. For it is the crux, it is the core, 
It is the essence of our holy gospel that in him the sovereign, immortal, eternal, everlasting God. God. In him, God. 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 Who had no beginning and he will have no ending. God. Who was never born and he will never die. God. Who was and never came to be, and is, and always shall be, said God. God, who is not one minute older this very second than he was when from his fiery fingertips he flung the worlds into infinite space and he hung the suns and the moons and the stars and the glittering galaxies of the night on boundless nothingness. God, of whom, if you should leap back into the mist of eternity's past, you will never find the day of his dawning. You will never find an hour of his origin. You will never find a point of his beginning. You will never find a moment of his birth. For he is of old from everlasting to everlasting God. And if you should turn around and leap out into the vast vistas and the staggering stretches of endless eternities that lie ahead, you will never find a line of his termination. You will never find a place of its boundary. You will never find a point of his limitation. Bless his holy name. If I were in high church tonight, I would sing irrepressibly. I had a request, but I sang anyway. If I, if I were in high church tonight, and I'm a high church holy roller. I've got a little of both in me. I'm somewhere between the two. If I were in high church tonight, I think I'd bring, break out to singing glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen and amen. And then I think in our services, I would break out to singing. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. God, almighty God. If you want a liberating, revolutionizing, transforming, healing experience, don't try to comprehend all the attributes of God. Just meditate on one of the attributes of infinite, immortal, eternal God. Just meditate on one of his attributes and the comparatively corrosive and the corrosive, frustrating, feverish concerns and interests of this world will shrink into comparative insignificance as you, as you meditate on just one of the attributes of Almighty God. No wonder Sidney Lanier, our beloved Southern poet, wrote in the poem, The Marshes of the Glen, as the marsh hen builds her nest. As the marsh hen builds her nest on the watery sod, 
I will lay me a nest on the greatness of God. I will fly as the marsh hen flies. I will fly to the greatness of God. But the wonder and the splendor and the crown and the apex and the center of our holy gospel is that this God, the God, one God, the only God, our God forever, this God, did this wonderful thing. In one definite century and one definite year, on the night of one definite day, in one definite country and one definite vision, village and one definite vision, and emphasizing that it was all local and dated and located and geographical is unspeakably crucial to our gospel. It's not the old, old story of simply God in mystery. It's the new, new story of God in history. It's not the old, old story of man seeking God. It's the new, new story of God seeking man. I'll repeat it because I like to repeat it. In one definite century and one definite age, and one definite year, on the night of one definite day, in one definite country, and one definite village, the eternal God, the eternal God, God, God came down. I said, God came down. Somebody say amen. amen. I said God came down. Of course it's imagery. It's unspeakable. It's incomprehensible. It's beyond human language. I was talking with a Unitarian friend of mine some years ago about theology and I mentioned God coming down. She said, there you evangelicals go with your three-storied universe. Yes, I did have a Unitarian friend. She died. She's going wherever Unitarians go. <laughs> yes, I had a Unitarian friend. I even socialize with Democrats. <laughs> I'm about to get mean. <laughs> she said, there you go with your three-storied universe talking about God coming down. Don't you know about Copernicus? I, she, said, I, you know, she said, I thought you were a connoisseur of theology. I said, a connoisseur? My grandpa hauled one of the, had one of those. He hauled buttermilk in it. <laughs> Forget it, forget it, forget it. <laughs> she said, there you are talking about three-story, three don't you know that the earth is round? Don't you know about Copernicus? After a while, we left theology talking about mundane, trivial things. She said, I was in downtown Atlanta the other day. I got so excited, I was all up in the air. I said, oh, you were? I said, how far? <laughs> Miles, feet, inches. She said, don't be ridiculous. I said, don't you be ridiculous. You use figurative speech and imagery to talk about mundane, trivial things, and you won't let us use the poetry and the imagery and the metaphors of the Holy Ghost. Amen? So no more apology. At one definite moment, the eternal God came down. He came down. 
He came down. He came down. Somebody say amen. amen. He came down among the chanting spheres and the wandering night and the burst of angel songs. And as he came, he wrapped a garment of human flesh about himself. And his feet sloshed along the beaches of Galilee. And his voice cried above the lapping waters of the lakeside. And his feet walked the little Palestinian paths in the village lanes. And his shadow fell here and there. And where he passed by, where his voice spoke, where his eyes gazed with benediction, where his hands were left, lifted in blessing, where he passed by, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the lame leaped, the poor had the gospel preached to them, and those that sat in darkness saw great light, and God became man. John, inspired of the Holy Ghost, reached the uttermost outer stretches of human thought and language written or spoken and wrote the dazzling words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, very God of very God, not half God and half man, but fully God and fully man, and one perfect union. Born in a cowshed, in a remote little village, Grew up in a little mountain village called Nazareth. Never saw a map of the world. Never traveled much farther than a few counties here in the state of Colorado. Never sat on an earthly throne. Never led an army in battle. Spent thir approximately 30 of his 33 years in that village doing the work of a carpenter. And at the age of about 30, he laid down his carpenter's tools. He walked out of his carpenter's shop. He left his little village and went out into the world. And at the peak of his popularity, in what is often called the Galilean campaign, great crowds gathered around him. The sick, the hungry, the idle, the needy, the blind, the poor, The believers, the skeptics, the enemies. And then the storm broke, and the cross loomed on the horizon, and the crowd all scattered and forsook him. And even his own disciples, many of them, forsook him and left him to die a lonely death on a cruel cross. And wicked men and devils shrieked with hellish glee. 
Wicked men and devils shrieked with hellish glee and cried out, that's the, that's the end of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the finish of Jesus of Nazareth. We're done with Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, dead and buried. So goes the ancient creed, and the wording is all important. He was crucified, dead and buried. No swoon, no pretense. He was dead. He was dead. He was dead. See it. He was crucified, dead and buried. Wicked men and devils said that's the last chapter in the story of Jesus. Wicked men and devils said that's the last paragraph in the story of Jesus. Wicked men and devils said that's the last sentence in the story of Jesus. Wicked men and devils said we'll close the book on the story of Jesus and write finis. But three days later, I said, three days later, I heard Charles Johnson, our pastor at Fitkin Memorial in Meridian, Mississippi, preach a few months ago, and ever since then I've envied him. I've wanted to sing my sermon like he does. Three days later, somebody say amen. amen. But three days later, God opened up the book and began to write on the next page to be continued. And just a few days after his death, as attested and better than any ancient document almost, just a few days after his death, his plain backwoods followers in the face, hear it, hear it, underscore it, in the face, of very probably being put to death themselves for doing so. I'm going to repeat it. In the face of very probably being put to death for doing so. I want you to get it. I want you to get it. In the face of very probably being put to death for doing so. I want you to hear it. In the face of very probably being put to death for doing so. His plain backwoods followers rushed out into the streets of Jerusalem and rushed on to the crown of Mars Hill and the shadow of the Parthenon and rushed on to the gates of the imperial city of Rome and rushed on to the household of Caesar himself, his plain backwoods followers in the face of very probably being put to death for doing so. They rushed out into the streets of Jerusalem, onto the heights of Mars Hill, onto the gates of Rome, shouting everywhere throughout the civilized world that the 
carpenter from Nazareth had risen from the dead. And that the carpenter from Nazareth would return to this earth someday and raise the dead and judge every man and nation and rule forever over a perfect, righteous, everlasting kingdom. God gave Moses a rod. God gave Elijah a cloak. And God has given me this chair. And they heard about the resurrected carpenter in the streets of Jerusalem with their incense and their altars and their temple and their legalism and their priesthood and their sacrifices and their vast religion. They heard about the resurrected carpenter and they laughed about the resurrected carpenter. And in Athens, with their erudition and their arguments and their logic and their metaphysics and their philosophy and their vast learning, the Grecians laughed and laughed and laughed about the resurrected carpenter. And they heard about the resurrected carpenter in Rome with their empire and their armies and their laws and their vast world-controlling government and their mighty emperor. And they laughed about the resurrected carpenter. But the strange thing is, to this very last January evening in the year of our Lord 2004 in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Alabama, uh, <laughs> to this very last moment, the fact is that all the thundering might of Rome and all the massive learning and arguments of Athens and all the religion of Jerusalem could not, did not, cannot, will not, never has, never will, cannot stop the resurrected carpenter. For he, for he, whoo! I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that, but I, it's my background. I, it's my background. We've got to graduate from that, and I know it. It's provincial. It's totally provincial. It's totally provincial. But I'm not morally responsible. Praise God. Glory to God. For they could not stop him. For he, he went down. He went down. I said, he went down. You know, you folk have got to come to understand. The heart of the whole thing is the rhythm. You've got to get with it. <laughs> I said, he went down. He went down. 
He went down into the dark, dingy domain of death and he snatched the scepter from the king of darkness and he chained the tyrant to his chariot wheels and he turned his steeds up the steeps of life when angels sang their antiphonal anthems through the arches and domes of glory. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the king of glory shall come in. He went down, he went down, but he came up and he came out and he broke loose and he, and he and he Stop. I'm feeling sorry for the charismatics <laughs> for he hallelujah and he began his march from his green hill far away to the throne of all the universe he began his march from the shame and the spittle and the infamy and the ignominy of, God, of Calvary to the day on Zion's hill when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and the chosen seed of Israel's race, the ransom from the fall, will bring forth the royal diadem and crown him and crown him and crown him and crown him. Lord of all! Hallelujah! Bless the Lord. And I have news for you. Let the devils howl! Let the demons rage. Let the kings of the earth imagine a vain thing. Let evil have its limited time. But when the devil has fired his last big guns and the smoke of the last battle has cleared away, the Galilean carpenter will be there. Amen. He will be there. He will stand on the, high, high, the last horizon of history. He will stand in the gaping mouth of his empty tomb, shouting, I am he that liveth and was dead. And, be, whoop, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys. Somebody say amen. I have the keys. I have the keys of hell and of death. He'll be there. But the ultimate, consummate glory and power and relevance of the gospel is that after nearly 2,000 years, he has kept his ancient promise where two or three are gathered in my name. I will be in the midst. The crowning, consummate splendor of it all is that this very moment, dare to believe it, this very moment, his promise is being fulfilled here with you and me. He is here now 
The Lord of hosts is with us. He is here, closer than breathing, nearer than hands and feet. The healing of his seamless robe is by our beds of pain. We touch him in the pressing throng, and we're made whole again. And faith still has its Olivet, and love its Galilee, and we may meet in spite of death a traveler from Nazareth. Shakespeare is dead and will not come to answer from his Avon home, but we may meet in spite of death a traveler from Nazareth. Listen struggling, discouraged, despairing student. He's here. Listen, penny-pinching student. He's concerned about your finances, your anxieties, your struggles. I mean, he truly is. That's not gibberish. That's glorious reality. He's here. He's here for absolutely everything you need. Not everything we want. What we want might destroy us and often does. But he's here for absolutely everything you need. I'm not through. But I'm about to quit. (laughs) I haven't gotten to my conclusion. I always build a big, too big a front porch before I get in the house. But he's here. One thing really matters. To be filled with the wonder Christ, to be baptized, to be engulfed, to be inebriated, to be enraptured, to be infused with the reality and the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. My heart tonight is saying, Blessed Holy Ghost, overwhelm me, flood me, consume me, fill my innermost mind, fill my innermost will and reasoning and understanding, fill my sensibilities, fill every part of my, fill every part of my being with a fresh, vivid, glorious, overwhelming awareness of the beauty and the truth and the reality and the eternal life that is in Jesus. Would you like to have a mighty fresh baptism of Jesus? I said, would you like to have a mighty fresh baptism of Jesus? Well, come on and let's get on our knees around the altar before God right now. Come on. Come on. Let's pray. Come on, let's pray. Bless your holy name. Doctor, if you will, please, Dr. Sanders.
to come and direct us in our prayer time. Bless your holy name forever. Oh. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord.